Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. In 2020, events have yet again shone a light on racial inequalities across the globe. Australia is not an exception. 20 years on from the reconciliation walks of the year 2000, this nation's journey towards a more just, equitable and reconciled identity still has a long way to go. With that in mind and in the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. I asked the Prime Minister, how good is Australia? Please explain. Mate, this is just impossible. Too many people were confused. Uh, You bet you are. Uh, You bet I am. I have always believed in miracles. That's not a policy. Not now. Not ever. I mean... These comments are completely inappropriate. Oh, I'm sure she's right. But I ain't spending any time on it. How pathetic. You're a classic space invader. Disgusting, mud-sucking creatures. You should be ashamed of yourselves. Oh, fair shake of the sauce bottle, mate. Taste of democracy, very good. Well, hello there, Mark Kenny here with what is actually the very last Democracy Sausage Extra for a year, a year that perhaps, with the exception of Scott Morrison, nobody really rates. I mean, where the hell did it come from? You'd think with a number like 2020, we would all have seen it coming. But then, perhaps as the lament goes, it's only hindsight for which we have 2020 vision. Oh, that's it. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. (laughs) Luckily, hindsight is our focus for this last pod because we're going to have a bit of a laugh about a few things that happened in the fettered world of politics with my friends Dr. Maria Teflaga and Professor Frank Bongiorno. Howdy to you both. Hi there. Hello, Hello. Mark. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. I'm looking forward to this. Now, Frank, no doubt in your sort of intellectual preparation for this rigorous process of, of, of arriving at all of these awards... Uh, You wrote a terrifically caustic, somewhat tongue-in-cheek piece for The Conversation, which was published just yesterday, and you cast the political year of 2020 as a sort of oldie-weldy tale uh, with an obdurate king who tries to ignore the great warming, as you described it, and then confronts the great pestilence and gets dragged along by a few dukes and duchesses along the way. It was a lovely piece. Tell us how you came up with that. Oh, I thought a fairy tale or a fable was the only way of dealing with 2020, especially at this end of the year when everyone's exhausted and needs a bit of a laugh. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's had a bit of a fairy tale quality to it at times, hasn't it? It has. It's I mean, mystical. Yeah. yeah, well, people yeah. who believed one thing and then turned out to believe something else or said one thing and, and changed completely, there's been a lot of that. And there's just – and there have been some phantom things, as I think you pointed out so well in that piece, you know, with the – the little sort of metaphor about, well, not really metaphor, but the reality of the pins in strawberries that we saw, what was that last summer? And um, that yeah. turned out not to really have a lot of substance to it. Yeah. I mean, it, it struck me that, you know, the world where politicians could get excited, indeed prime ministers could get excited about something like, you know, pins in strawberries or, you know, what the 
the tax rate should be for backpackers. You know, the really big <laughs> issues in Australian politics in the last few years seems like a kind of another world rather than just a, a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yeah, right. That's right. So we end up with like massive issues that render those sort of things almost comical, uh, particularly because a couple of them actually are, you know, that, mm. that was, that really amounted to nothing, didn't it? That was, what was it, a hoax, wasn't it, in the end? Well, it was a straightforward criminal law matter if yeah. it wasn't a hoax. And yeah. yeah, it was sort of inflated into some sort of national crisis. Yeah. And, and this is what a real national crisis looks like yes, uh, exactly. in 2020. Yeah. Well, that and that's an interesting point because you're a historian, right? I mean, this year has just been extraordinary. We think about the way it started with the drought turning into the worst bushfire crisis we've ever seen. That quickly gives way to a pandemic, a global pandemic, uh, which, you know, takes a little while to kind of, for, for, for people and governments to get their heads around. But pretty damn quickly, we, we realize the world is fundamentally changing. Um, and, and we see governments doing things that, you know, we, we imagined were just not possible or would never be needed. I mean, as a historian, it's it's a bit hard, I suppose. You deal with, you know, looking back on things and we're in the middle of this still, but, um, you know, can you imagine where th- there'll be a year like this? I mean, I, I'm not really asking you to predict the future, but... I think it, he is. Yeah, I think I did. I think I did. But, it, you know, is this is this one of those things where it seems bigger than it is? I mean, history's going to look back on this year as a, a really mm. a significant turning point. Yeah, I mean, we don't quite know how yet because we don't know what's going to happen next and that's the trick that historians pull, you know, that, that use of sort of perspective and hindsight. But, yeah, it's been pretty amazing for the different sort of things it's combined. So, yes, it looks some, somewhat like the, the year of the Spanish flu, you know, sort of 1919, I guess, for Australia. But, you know, it's had all these other aspects too, massive bushfire crisis and uh, uh, a recession, uh, which you didn't really get with the, the Spanish flu. You basically got a, an economy recovering from the, the, you know, the sort of awfulness of the war years. So, mm-hmm. It's been different from 1919 and, 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 yeah, pretty amazing for the way it's combined lots of different things. And, of course, the international news this year has been, um, you know, so dramatic as well with the presidential election. Mm. Uh, you think of... The most the, significant presidential election, really, because the the, the Trump, yeah. you know, juggernaut, uh, you know, the circus, really, of that administration has been such such a front-of-mind thing, really, for, for even outside of the US. So... It, uh, you know, rolling to its messy conclusion. I mean, even as we record this, they're, they're just yeah. doing the, uh, the electoral college votes and Trump's still clinging on saying that, you know, uh, it's, it's been stolen from him and, and, uh, you know. Yeah. And his triumph looked so inevitable, really, didn't it, at the beginning of the year? I mean, I think many people had taken for granted there was just going to be another term and, uh, all of that evaporated, um, over the course of the year with the kinds of crises we've been talking about. And in the American case too, of course, Black Lives Matters, which was very mm. transformative. Events, dear boy, events. Events, yes. I think what is really kind of interesting, I guess, to sort of think about it in um, like how might future historians look at this time is is um, from my perspective, it looks like that this crisis has accelerated certain processes that would have taken a bit longer to sort of play out and we kind of can see that and I guess sort of big policy shifts on on climate change, for example. Um, But the thing that I think will be most interesting is actually to look at what people's visions of the future, what they thought the future would look like in the darkest days of um, the pandemic and quite likely how those things do not pan out. Um, and I think that will be very, very revealing of, I guess, where we were kind of at psychically and um, as a society and as a culture um, 
when we kind of compare um, what we imagine for ourselves and what we actually end up achieving. Yeah. And uh, just on on that uh, question about, you know, Trump possibly rolling on to a second term, most presidents do get a second term. It's not always the case, but mostly they do. I can't say I was convinced about that, but um, but we'll never know one way or the other. But if we can make that assertion at least as a sort of a reasonable proposition, I think it is, we could also make um, a similar one about Australia, which is to say that absent the pandemic, Morrison came out of the bushfire crisis looking utterly terrible. And um, the pandemic really, you know, sort of overtook everything. And right on the back of, and I've made this point on this podcast before, but right on the back of, you know, handling that very poorly, you know, the Hawaii holiday and then the sort of, you know, obfuscation about everything and, and, and the way he handled it, uh, the insensitive way that he handled it, he, he really did glimpse his political mortality and uh, the pandemic came along and he had a chance to do it better, uh, you know, to respond. Yeah, uh, a moment course, for reinvention. Yeah, so so I mean, there's there's no greater point really than there is in talking about uh, whether Trump could have won or not, I guess. But um, but we could probably say, at least on the the data then, that Morrison would have had a, a much tougher year, even though it's been an extraordinary year for um you know for uh, extraordinary workload for for the prime minister and for other political leaders. And I guess we can come to that. So let's go to our first category. And I think in keeping with the innate dignity and of this august institution, we should start out with something uplifting, affirming, even positive. So in the category of most flagrant and self-interested backflip, <laughs> the nominees are Matthias Corman for his sudden change on climate change, Kevin Rudd for suddenly campaigning and wanting a royal commission into the Murdoch uh, empire, the Morrison government on New Start, Job Seeker, Job Keeper, Debt and Deficit Spending, School Closures, State Border Closures, Going to the Football, <laughs> and, and Who Can Forget Wearing Masks. So what, what do we think? You know, uh, there's, a, there's a, a clutch of them, Matthias Corman, Kevin Rudd, the Morrison government. I don't know what you're trying to say, Mark. <laughs> yeah, it has been it has been a, a real year for for, for black backflips. I, I think you were telling me before we were recording um, a, 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 a sort of contrast, I suppose, in in, in Matthias Corman's rhetoric around climate change. Perhaps you could... well, I mean, yeah, because Corman's interesting, isn't he? He's a, he was a sort of a right winger within this government right up until recently, uh, the finance minister for a long time. A um, uh, you know, something of an ideologue, certainly a cynic when it came to, or a skeptic when it came to uh, climate change. Uh, well, he was he was you know one of the key people to unpick Malcolm Turnbull the first time around. Exactly. Part of that um, slew of ministers who resigned from the shadow cabinet. Well, he was a critical person to to uh, to switch sides on the Wednesday of that week in 2018. Exactly. 20, yes, 2018. Was it eighteen? It was. Yeah, it's that um, long ago. Yeah, it, it is that long ago, uh, and and which really undid Malcolm Turnbull's leadership. You're right. Uh, so let me just give you a just to remind you of it a, a bit of a uh, an example of the uh, you know the the double pike with backflip or however you describe it, and that is this is uh, Corman right talking in the last few weeks. Uh, in relation to his bid to become a head of the OECD, right? In his vision statement, he describes, um, he says that effective global action on climate change is a must and we must get to zero net emissions as soon as possible. That sounds reasonably enlightened. But in this very same year, he was speaking 
on Sky, that is going back to February of this year, uh, when Labor had, had announced its uh, net zero by 2050 target, uh, he described that he, his response to that was making, quote, making commitments, meaningless commitments without actually properly assessing what the economic cost is, the impact on jobs, the impact on power prices and the impact on emissions is extremist and irresponsible. So <laughs> I, 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 he's not telling that to the people he's looking, courting OECD votes for. So well, well, I think that what are, what are we pretty always, graphic. That's true. And what have we always admired a Matthias Corman for? You know, like he's, he's so good at the message, you know, yeah. doesn't deviate from him, from him. He's the person you trust to put in front of the camera and, and stonewall. And I guess what we're sort of seeing now is is um, precisely this skill set on, on display. And so, you know, the OECD should definitely appoint him to that role. It's Possible they will. Who yeah. knows? I mean, he's he's um the the federal government, of course, has spent vast amount of money on flying him all around the world. I think he's visited twenty countries, um, and uh, you know, on an air force jet in order to secure this uh, this job. Uh, and uh, you know, it's still <laughs> airline food, can... Mark. It's still I, airline I, food. I, I couldn't help. It reminded me. I actually, I have to say, I tweeted on this um, of a a very old advertisement that Maria will certainly be too young to remember, but Mark may well remember, for imperial leather, the soap. Ah, oh, yes, where, yes. You know, there's, there's sort of the family in this kind of Roman bath type outfit, enjoying luxury, and it, it basically, the, the dialogue goes, Tahiti looks nice, and this is a woman, the husband replies, gets on the phone and says, Simon, Tahiti. <laughs> <laughs> you see a pilot saying, Roger, we'll come, and they're in an aeroplane. Yeah, that's right. They're in, they're in their own jumbo. And, <laughs> they just, and it sort of banks to the right or whatever, which is, uh, or banks to the left in, in Matthias's <laughs> view now. He's obviously banking to the left. Well, obviously, banking's um, the word for yeah. it. Yeah. And, and also, often, climate change is still cultural Marxism. Is that, is that, the, that, is, is that where we're up to? That okay, is where okay, we are. Cool, we've cool, we've cool. descended Good. to Good. that level instantly. <laughs> So and look, I think in fairness to the to the Morrison government as a general, if you can if you can talk about backflips, there's a number that I listed off there, right? Uh, New start, job keeper, job seeker, you know, in, improving New Start and uh, by by giving it the uh, COVID uh, allowance um, and the direct wage subsidy, which initially the government was going to do, and of course its whole you know uh, move to use the budget to inject money into the economy to keep people employed and so forth. These things are backflips in a sense, but they are necessary backflips. And I think you know, no one's arguing they shouldn't have done it. No one anywhere, really, with any credibility on, on you know, right across the spectrum. So, you know, I think it'd be, um, I think it'd be probably churlish to uh, to you know call that a, a backflip and and give you know that. I, I think, that I think it would be of, hypocritical on our part, given we're always advocating, you know, evidence-based policy and reasonableness and, you know, being able right. to, to revise one's position. Credit, that's right. It gets a little bit iffy when you get into the second part of that. You may recall I listed off school closures, state border closures, going to the football and masks. <laughs> on all of those things, the, the feds were either, you know, sand in the gears or or just straight out, you know, resistant. Um and they've been, all of them, part of Australia's success story. So, uh, you know, not everyone. In fact, I don't think any single government's got everything right in terms of timing and all that. But um, yeah. the feds have been lucky here that the states have had a perhaps a more direct relationship with their voters and decided to act in that way and or with their constituents, I should say. Uh, and have decided to act in that way. And the, the aggregate result for the country has been 
good. And, you know, to be fair to Morrison, the National Cabinet was an excellent idea and it, and it, and it did work. Although, as you said yesterday in your piece, Frank, it's, um, it's given the impression of everyone agreeing even when they didn't, which is, you know, not a bad impression. It's not a bad impression. I mean, yeah, I think that's a, what you've said is a good sort of description of the, the way the federal system works. I, I'd also argue that I think in, in some ways the federal government also moderated some instincts at the state level that weren't terribly helpful either. I mean, I've always felt that they overdid border closures and I don't think yeah, they had a reasonable, a reasonable kind of roadmap, I guess, to, to reopening those borders. Um, you know, you had situations where there were basically no infections either side of sort of the South Australian, Western Australian border, and yeah. yet no talk even of opening it at one yeah. stage. So yeah. it, it kind of cuts both ways. But I agree that, that you know, the, the sheer power that um, I guess the state governments have been able to exercise and which we've been reminded of, that they um, hold sway over so many kind of aspects of everyday life, health, education, pub, um, yeah, just a whole range of things that kind of affect how we live our lives means that they were, I think, drastically able to moderate, you know, some of the impulses coming from the federal government and from Morrison in particular. Very sage yeah. point, I think. And what do we think about, uh, you know, Kevin Rudd's conversion on Murdoch? I mean, the Murdoch press lined him up pretty pretty well a couple of weeks ago with a uh, front-page story from David Pemberthy talking about the extent to which Rudd spent a lot of his time, you know, cozying up to the Murdoch press, and I certainly know that uh, from my time in the gallery. Things were getting handed to people, um, stories and so forth, and you just think, God, you know. But uh, Well, he's not the first and he won't be the last. He's joined, of course, by exactly. Malcolm Turnbull. That's right. Uh, so, you know, across the mm, aisle, hand yeah, in hand. Two people that basically hate each other's guts from what I can tell. I mean, <laughs> judging by the Turnbull's response to uh, Rudd's bid for the uh, UN Secretary-General spot, I mean, uh, bang, that was... Uh, I think, I, think it, I guess it, it points to um, something that... Um, I guess academics have known for a long time, but perhaps isn't always appreciated by by the general public, which is just the the level of media concentration in Australia. I, I mean, I've been reading that sentence in books dating from the eighties, so it's a long term problem in this country. And so, whilst yeah, Kevin Rudd is definitely um, a hypocrite, like most politicians um, who will do whatever it takes to get elected, um, there is like I think an essential kind of truth there that that our country kind of needs to reckon with which is um are we actually okay with the ever decreasing number of voices um in our polity and the fact that we're but it's getting not, is it really ever decreasing deserts. I mean, we've got more people we've got more online platforms i mean it's a, in in some ways it's a more um varied media picture than it was in the past i mean i'm not saying that this isn't a valid criticism of uh, the news corp stable. Um, you know, the, the, there are many people who take that view, but there's also a whole lot of new players. You know, the Guardians <laughs> there, and 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 uh, you know, Crikey, and a whole range of sort of smaller online yep. players. I guess so, but how many of them still have that capacity to set the agenda? I mean, that's a fair point. I wonder how many of them will still be there in ten years' time. Um, there's democracy sausage. Well, that's right. There's democracy course, sausage, yeah. home of breaking news. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know. Home of breaking something. Yeah, that's breaking right. Wind. That's right. Exactly. As a result but, of too many sausages. So look, let's uh, let's tear open the envelope and see who's won. Even though, in fact, we are the ones who are deciding this. So just put that envelope open now. <laughs> and the winner is it's Matthias Corman. 
Very oh. well deserved. Yes, yeah. very well, well deserved. Done. Wow, congratulations. He said he wouldn't be back. I think he said, he said I won't be back as a uh, final um, – uh, in his final speech to the Senate, but he he should have said, "I won't be backflipping." But uh, turns and out we can be assured too that if the OECD thing doesn't come off, that there'll be some ambassadorship or high commissionership available for him somewhere <laughs> yes. in due course. Yes, always a soft landing. <laughs> yeah. Now the next category. Don't know what historical precedent there is for that, Frank. <laughs> the next category is a category that perhaps won't be um, around next year if we do this same awards presentation and I can't imagine that we wouldn't after the ratings that this is almost certain together but um, and that is uh, but then again it might be around in a couple of years time if he comes back and that is uh, it's been named maddest moment of the Trump presidency (laughs) (laughs) now I'll let you speak to this one uh, to, 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 to some of these nominations but these are the nominations the four seasons total landscaping moment Goya Beans, Trump with the Bible outside St. John's in Washington, D.C. Now, I'll let you speak to those, Frank. Yes, they are three. I mean, there are so many mad moments, but I think 2020 produced certainly some of the most visually kind of impactful, I think I'd describe them. And and It's an ugly word. It is a very ugly word, impactful. Not one I'd use in print, but I'm going to use it here. Um, So, yeah, look. um, As long as you don't say learnings, I think I'll let it go by. (laughs) That's right. But I have learnings. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, um, the the St. John, the the Bible outside St. John, uh, St. John's in in Washington, D.C. That was just egregious, wasn't it? It was egregious because, yes, I mean, it involved clearing protesters with tear gas beforehand. punching reporters in the face even, including one of our own. Yeah, Yeah. no, it it was completely appalling and he sort of stood there holding the Bible upside down, um, which I think had been produced by Ivanka out of her, no doubt, extremely expensive handbag, really, if I yeah. remember rightly. I thought you were yeah. going to say out of her extensive library. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, she may well have an extensive library. Goya Beans, though, was completely bizarre. So this is the one where, in fact, I don't really know the full story, but um, that there was – a, uh, a very strongly pro-Trump sort of corporate uh, um, uh, person who is the owner of, of, of Goya Beans, um, which are, uh, you know, popular in the Latino community as a, as a, 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 um, a staple, you know, a staple, yeah. a staple. And, um, you know, there were suggestions of a boycott. Of, well, that's of, right, because this product. guy, yeah, you know, I can't remember yeah. his name, Inuo, Inuo or something, yeah, he, he, uh, yeah. he actually talked about Trump as being like the greatest president ever. He was, you know, effusive in his praise of the, the orange one. And, mm. um, yes, many people in the, in the Latino community thought back to the way the president's spoken about Mexicans, for example, as and, criminals and rapists. And, and, of course, this resulted in, the, in Trump and Ivanka holding up cans of beans, right? Yeah. 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 Which is, yeah. you know. Ivanka did a particularly, uh, you know, um, uh, attractive photo of her with a, with a tin of beans. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was inspiring. <laughs> it was absurd. It was like a 1950s extreme. advertisement. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, so there was that one. Um but, yeah, uh, the, the third you mentioned, Four Seasons Total Landscaping. Well, we don't really know the full story behind this, but, you know, um, Rudy, Rudy Giuliani held a, uh, a, a post-election uh, press conference, media conference there, you know, basically to claim the usual, you know, f- the election was fraud, fraudulent. Mm. Yeah, this was quite early on. This was within very 24 early. hours yeah, of the yeah, result, it was, I think. it was at a very early stage. And, uh, I mean, 
the best explanation, I guess, is that it was meant to be held at the Four Seasons Hotel yeah. in yes. Philadelphia, but um, in the confusion, they gave, uh, the they, they, they gave the wrong address and ended up outside a, um, well, a total landscaping place. That, But the story, I think, is completed by the fact that, that it, the neighbouring businesses were a crematorium and a porn shop, that's P-O-R-N, <laughs> not P-A-W-N, which, of course, on social media uh, soon translated into a dildo shop. <laughs> that's right. That's the description used. <laughs> and and it, it just seemed like a, a wonderfully symbolic end, really, to the Trump presidency. And, of course, the owners of that business being, you know, sort of, I guess, entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs yeah. have, have really been milking they've it. Made, and, they've made T-shirts and, and yeah. everything. And, yeah. I think I think there's one image that um, I actually, like you're, you're talking about, it had reminded me, which was um, – do you remember when Trump um, advocated uh, drinking bleach? Oh, that was oh, a good that was one. good too. Yeah, yeah. and they yeah, cut yeah. away to yeah. the health official who's yeah. just she's yeah. just like looking in 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 horror. She was ashen faced. Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. exactly. But I mean, for, for that my was the, he'd also suggested at that stage the use of extraordinary. What what was it? Is a tremendous. He's a big fan of the word tremendous, and he tremendously like bright light. If you could shine a tremendously bright light inside people, and and perhaps you could do some wonderful things with. Is that where Pete Evans got the light box idea uh, from? Pete Evans, he's, a, he's another favourite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, for me, it's the Four Seasons moment. Like, I, I felt like it felt like the fitting end to what has sort of been like a surreal, yeah, um, reality TV show come like an endless episode of Arrested Development. Um, for those of you too young to know that show, children, I suggest go and watch it. It's very good. But, um, you know, like it, it just sort of seemed to be the perfect cherry on top, which was on what was just a series of increasingly unbelievable events that were truly actually happening and this wasn't like a fever dream. And Julie only looked like a kind of, you know, two-bit suburban lawyer, didn't it? You know, sort of standing out in yeah. front. Well, I mean, the <laughs> other one that we could have put in there was that, that appalling one not so long ago where he did the press conference to once again declare that, you know, the whole, they had an open and shut case to prove that, uh, you know, the election had, was rigged and even his hair dye was uh, was was giving well, up yeah. and making a run for it down the side of his face. All the time he fought it on national TV. <laughs> <laughs> like, that was last week. Like, yeah. twice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, so who are we going to give this to? I mean, I could pretend to re- open the envelope, but the truth is, maybe it's now all of empty. the children are, are prize winners. All of the children, <laughs> maybe every, a prize every, for everyone. Every child gets a prize. It's yeah. Christmas. Give a prize to everyone. I, but I'd vote for for total. I thought Four Seasons total was one of the great, political. yeah, one of the great metaphors of, yeah. of, of a dissembling, <laughs> you know, symbolic regime. Yeah. It was one of those things where, which often happens these days, and particularly in connection with the Trump presidency, you sort of wonder: is that a fake news? Is it a satire? And then you well, read it, the story. It, 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 I, I just it, feel like it, the last four years. Is <laughs> it did get hard to satirise, and I, I was thinking, you know, some some comedians have had uh, a lot to to work with, but sometimes they've had, you know, they actually had to compete with reality itself for total bizarreness. All right, well, let's give it to the Four Seasons so. and uh, to the um, to the uh, Although I did, you know, speaking of advances, right, because someone presumably would have advanced that, you know, that is the people in political campaigns who go ahead and check out a venue and make sure it's all right. Mm. Someone made the point on Twitter and I thought it was a beautiful point. You see that picture of Trump not so long ago. It was only 
sort of 10 days ago, we were sitting at that tiny little table signing something or other and it just <laughs> someone tweeted that, you know, they take their hat off to the advanced who walked into the room, looked at that tiny table and said, yeah, that'll do. That'll do, exactly. <laughs> it just was, it made Trump look, look like a... I, I personally think on January 20 it's going to be revealed that this was just a four-year live art show. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's right. And performance it, Exactly, and it would be declared the greatest piece of art ever. The greatest installation yeah, piece. that's right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know. Performative and... Uh, it may have challenged one of the oldest republics, but hey, yes. you know, think yes. of the ratings. Oh, yeah, so. four, four Seasons also kind of closed the 2020 circle because they also put out um, a particular image you could use as Zoom background and, of course, it's the Four Seasons exactly. total landscaping. That's right. Which I think is a wonderful sort of statement on 2020. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> the year of Zoom. I mean, maybe it should be called the year of Zoom. The year of Zoom, yeah. yeah. Well, that's certainly been one of the yeah. uh, great winners, yeah. hasn't it? Yeah. Look, we're going to take a break in a sec, but just we'll, we'll do one more before we do, and that is um, rather, um, you know, gently – uh, categorised as biggest dill. <laughs> uh, now, we've already mentioned a couple of these, Donald Trump, Rudy Giuliani. Now we throw in uh, Boris Johnson. Um, and my friend Paul Pickering makes the point that, um, you know, Boris really gets there because he's actually smarter than some of these guys, but it doesn't matter. He still <laughs> he still plays the fool rather well. Um, and uh, let's face it, the performance of, of that government, particularly in response to the to the uh, coronavirus, has been shambolic and continues to be. I mean, they're actually going into tier three lockdown in London at the moment, but they're still talking about having some sort of Christmas holiday from the conditions. I mean, yeah. it is. Uh, and and we'll, look, we'll add to uh, add to those uh, Peter Evans, the aforementioned, uh, sort light of speaks box. for it. Yeah. fifteen hundred dollar light box. <laughs> yeah, speaks for itself. And Craig Kelly, the uh, the Liberal backbencher, who. And I'll quote Ann Davies from The Guardian here, who asked the question a little while ago, what do supporting hydro, hydroxychloroquine as a treatment for COVID-19 and climate change denialism have in common? Apart from dwindling body of uh, scientific support for either, the two causes have united some of the world's most conservative politicians from the outgoing US President Donald Trump to the Australian Federal MP Craig Kelly. And Kelly, of course, has been a big fan of hydroxychloroquine. Uh, if that is in fact how you say it, that's how um, you say it. Yeah. And uh, you know, um, he's also told, uh, he's also warned at one point that it would be going back to, um, you know, harking back to Matthias's view, that it would be political suicide for Scott Morrison to adopt net zero by 2050, which um, someone needs to tell Matthias because he's out there spruiking it to the world. So there's our there's our list uh, of deals. Um, I was going to call this biggest knob, but you know. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I decided that would be impolite, uh, so I've gone for dill, which was a favourite uh, favourite word of um, Laurie Oaks, and I figure we can. Is that like a backhanded compliment? Man. You know, like I was I was going to say that you're you're a knob, but I've just I've downgraded you to dill. Yeah, just a dill. <laughs> well, that's right, just a dill. Yeah. Uh, it's there's a certain sort of mediocrity to this. Uh, at the end of the day, right? So Donald Trump, Rudy Giuliani, Boris Johnson. Peter Evans and Craig Kelly. Notice they're all blokes, by the way, which – which um, Women have to lift their game. They do. You know? They are, they think, are so I underrepresented. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed, yeah. Um, I, I guess my money is, is on, on, on Boris for the very reason that you said that, um, you know, he is, he is cleverer than that. And I guess I just keep thinking about how he was shaking people's hands <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in that's COVID right. hospitals and then, of course, you know – Sort of, you know, um, faced death as a result of getting 
a really serious illness. That's so, very true. Yeah. Um, and then he came out talking about the NHS being the beating heart of Britain, which um, <laughs> which is terrific and all that, but it's still underfunded. Yeah. Okay, so you're going to go for Boris? Are you happy with Boris? I'm happy with Boris and I'd do it on the grounds. There's a brilliant um, investigation by the Sunday Times Insight team uh, which has basically shown that that government made exactly the same mistake twice. Now, most of us learn, <laughs> don't we? You know, you, you make a really big mistake and the second time round, you sort of tread more carefully. But they made exactly the same mistakes in September that they made back in March and uh, people are paying for it with their lives on a grand scale. Yeah. Um, and I, it's just, I mean... To read this particular story about the decision-making process in, in September is just heart-wrenching, actually. Yeah, I, yeah. I read that piece. Yeah. It was a really yeah. brilliant piece. Yeah. It was a really yeah. extraordinary piece, uh, yeah. and uh, I agree with you. Um, and it, and it's, it's, it's a tragedy to think that Australia has done well, uh, and New Zealand as well, are making some virtue of uh, you know the natural advantage of being an island. Um, Britain has that advantage as well, albeit that it's much more... Um, you know, um, connected to uh, to the international community and to Europe in particular, uh, but nonetheless, uh, they they kept their borders open for a long time, and it, and even in between what we might now look at as the first wave and the second wave, there were vast numbers of people travelling to the continent for their summer holidays, and they were, it was virtually being encouraged, and um, you know, coming to and from Spain and 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 so forth. So it, yeah, and it took it took them months to introduce a quarantine. They've never really been return. properly serious about it. No, um, and you know, even as their hospitals were overwhelmed, so it's um it's it's been puzzling really to see particularly sort of conservative recalcitrant governments sort of wrestling with the you know with the sort of idea of the kind of government fiat and control that was required by this emergency the same people that would presumably pull those levers in in the case of war but just did not want to pull them here and um, and the reluctance you know it's it's a bit like half catching a cricket ball you just end up with broken fingers you know you you have to you have to do this properly uh, because doing half doing it is like not doing it at all which i think is what we've sort of seen in the infection rates and the fatality rates yeah and it's no laughing matter at all no, right? no. and the distractions of brexit i think you know are also an issue there, aren't they? Well, precisely. Yeah. I mean, that, that, yeah. that, that's been a debacle all the way through and continues to be. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back with some more positive ones, I think, on the other side of the break. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Sharon Bessel. Policy Forum Pod is the podcast for those who want to dig a little deeper into the policy challenges facing Australia and its region. Each week we bring together expert analysis to tackle the big issues facing our region and to propose policy solutions. It's insightful, it's positive and it's always fun. Policy Forum Pod is out every Friday. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your pods. Or find us at policyforum.net slash podcasts. Welcome back. Now, let's talk about 
as I said, some positive ones. Most effective political leader. This will be in the international category, okay? So the nominees are, and you can add to these if you like, Jacinda Ardern, Angela Merkel, Scott Morrison. Now, whether we put Scott, I mean Scott Morrison's going to come up in the in the local one as well. So, but we'll we'll leave him there for the time being. And Tsai Ing Wen uh, in um, Taiwan, Taiwan, who's been included in Time Magazine's hundred most influential people of 2020, and certainly uh, uh, you know performed very very effectively there. Any thoughts? Any responses? I guess I guess from from my perspective, it would probably have to be Jacinda Ardern. Because she has um, succeeded on on multiple fronts this year, like not only in um, effectively managing the global pandemic um, from her own shores, but um, winning a historic election, um, like a landslide in a in a voting system that makes it extremely difficult for any party to win a, a majority. It's sort of designed so that no party has a majority. Precisely, and such has been the kind of acclamation from voters mm. that they have. A majority, yeah. Yeah, and her capacity to bring together um, uh, her her community at, at a time of sort of great crisis and strife, at, all whilst um, um, using a form of positive politics, which we haven't seen um, in um, around for a very um, long time, and that that I think is actually very impressive. Um, um, across multiple fronts. I really like that point, actually, uh, the, the, the point you make about using a form of positive politics because she is actually kind of, um, you know, rowing her own race. She's she's um, not, not following a template of anyone else. She's uh, got uh, a very positive approach to the way she yeah, – and a very unifying approach to the way we saw that most graphically demonstrated in those terrible hours after the Christchurch massacre. But – um, she's really governed like that. That that's just a, a you know an extreme moment where we saw it. But that has been a kind of an ethos of of her government. It's not as any government is not without its faults around the edges, but it's 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 a successful thing. But I guess Frank, um, one thing we have seen is that all governments that have been half competent have been elevated mm. during this crisis. So winning an election during it is perhaps as we've seen in in in, in Australia with a number of state governments, it's not in and of itself impossible to do. Voters have tended to get behind governments and during this time of uncertainty and fear and 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 government problem solving. Um, but nonetheless she's done it with great you know, great mm. purpose and 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 this is an emphatic endorsement really. It's not just a win, but a very strong win. Mm. And, and indeed polling earlier had suggested it was going to be close and, and uh that I think there was a general view that she would probably win, but that she would certainly have to cobble together some kind of coalition um, or alliance again. Um, so yeah, it was pretty, pretty amazing. But yeah, incumbency has worked, I guess, for governments that that have shown a reasonable level of of competence. Um, I mean, the others that you you mentioned. Um, I mean, I, I suppose the jury has to be out really on An Angela Merkel um, mm. and Germany simply because it appears to be going into a, a a really difficult situation in terms of numbers of infections. Now, yeah. again, that's not necessarily down to her in particular, um, but the reality is, you know, that that Germany uh, may well not escape the kinds of dreadful levels of infection we've seen a number of other European countries. Yeah, I think so, that's right. I mean, yeah. it's interesting that Germany is a federation, but it, yeah. and, and I've seen Angela Merkel recently making very strong pleas to people from the Bundestag, uh, from the you know the the, um, 
the chair there or from the, the microphone there, um, you know, really imploring people to observe all of the the health uh, warnings and 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 new behaviours, but it's actually proving quite difficult. Uh, and perhaps that does underscore how successful we've been in Australia with the very high level of public buy-in for all of those changes and also the fact that, I guess, as I said before, we're an island and we've been able to sort of insulate, sort of close ourselves off from the world in a, in a certainly helps. Sense. But I, I, do, I, do, I do recall her um, press conference or several press conferences where she very methodically explained um, you know, in a in a highly sort of scientifically literate way, it has it does remind us all of exactly why she has been such a successful yes. political leader with such a vast legacy and you know a real class act. Yes. All right. Well, look, let's uh, let's let's say that uh, this award goes to Jacinda Ardern. I know that is going to definitely boost her stocks quite a lot in New Zealand. <laughs> I'm sure that she will be. Uh, eagerly She's been evading. hanging out for this. Yeah. <laughs> she can retire now. It's a, it's a possibly a big moment. I think you know. <laughs> Using it as an endorsement for another landslide in a few years. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Or perhaps a kiss of death. Exactly. Now, most effective political need. This leads on to the domestic version of this, and perhaps this is really where Scott Morrison should be considered more. Um, Most effective political leader national, that is in Australia, Daniel Andrews, Mark McGowan, Gladys Berejiklian, Scott Morrison. Uh, and uh, and the Queensland Premier, whose name momentarily escapes me, Anastasia Palaszczuk. That's Anastasia Now I'm, Palaszczuk's, uh, you know, um, like Ardern, has won an election, and she's done so under a good deal of, of of kind of external pressure. But I think going back to your point before, Frank, I agree with you. I think the border closure thing was rather overplayed by by some of the states. Um, and there were some terrible stories, really, of you know um, people not being able to get across the New South Wales Queensland border, including one story I heard on AM at one stage of a fourteen-year-old kid, you know, that needed you know heart checks because of a, a condition and unable to get a permit to go across and all that sort of stuff. And it just seemed it seemed a bit churlish. Um, Nonetheless, I think uh, I think Palaszczuk has um, performed extraordinarily well. So. Well, it's the third election win in a row. Yeah, for and a she's the leader. first. She's the first female leader to do that in Australia. That's exactly that's not insignificant. And against the background of of the apparent vulnerabilities of the Labor Party in, in Queensland. Queensland, yeah, you know? it's got a primary yeah. vote nationally yeah. of about twenty five or something yeah. percent. You know. Yeah, and and this member was a you know, the, the that is that is a uh, sorry I should clarify that mm. it's it's primary vote federally in Queensland yes. you know sort of last yeah. election was I think somewhere at twenty five twenty six percent and and in you know obviously past violent swings in state politics what they were down to seven seats at, at uh, uh, one election a few years back was it two thousand twelve mm. or whatever so yeah it's the one where she won government yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, less than a cricket team yeah from yeah. Yeah, yes that's right she'll yeah. get it back next time round but. You know, it, it, it does, you know, underline the vulnerability of the Labor Party in Queensland uh, and, and she's managed you know, extraordinary resilience, I think. Yeah. And look, you know, for all the criticism of Morrison and we talked about some of the things in which the, he was tardy uh, at the start and, and also things on which, uh, you know, he's sort of benefited from the, you know, the more muscular, more decisive action of the states. But nonetheless, he did... He didn't just do the National Cabinet, which was an atmospheric changer of the relationship between the, you know, the levels of government. It did bring the country together at a critical moment. But the other important thing I think needs to be said is that 
um, the economic policies that were put in place, which were so anathema to his party uh, and which have facilitated all of this, even if you think about, you know, the, um, I mean, we've got uh, Daniel Andrews on this list, for example, and I think were it not for the reason that he was in lockdown in the first place, you would have to say Andrews' performance is really, really extraordinary. Now, whether you subtract, you know, A from B or or you don't, I guess, is a debate that, you know, people can have. But, um, you know, the, the feds were paying vast amounts into Victoria to effectively fund that lockdown. So, uh, you know, I don't think it's inappropriate to consider Morrison's overall th- national leadership. I, th- I think that... You know, considering where Scott Morrison started the year, where, um, you know, there were serious questions over his his judgment and his capacity. Like, I think on, on any objective measure, he has kind of done what you expect good leaders to do. He's he's learnt from his own mistakes. He's, yes. he's grown. He's um, acted against the interests of his own um, <clears throat> voting blocks on occasions. Um, and, um, you know, whether you like him or not, Polling results suggest that he has been, broadly speaking, a unifying figure, and I think you know it would be um, simply just uh, dishonest of us not to to acknowledge that he has been really effective. Like he has been able to recast his um, his his whole uh, leadership brand um, this year, and not all political leaders have been able to do that, mm. you know. And I think that is something that is important to to consider, just like. Dan Andrews' ability to uh, show up um, to press conferences day after day and effectively stay relatively in control of that situation says a lot about his political skills. Mm. You know, like these mm. being a good leader doesn't always mean that we our hearts are full of joy, right? Yeah. Um, but effectiveness mm. is yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the very sort of. Um, criticisms, for instance, that Malcolm Turnbull made of Morrison in Turnbull's memoirs that appeared this year. Um, About which you wrote so, uh, so uh, oh, wonderfully. Well, it was, a, it was an interesting read, the, the book, and, and one, one, re- one way in which it was interesting was his portrait of Morrison, I think, in which he presents him unflatteringly on the whole, I think, but as someone who doesn't take too many glances back, that is, um, yeah. yeah, there yeah. aren't too many issues on which Morrison would basically go to the wall. I mean, there, there are the there are obviously some religious and moral issues that he feels very strongly about, but basically anything else he's willing to to drop. And I think we've seen that this year. Yeah, that, and that, that comes yeah. out a little bit in yeah. Catherine Murphy's really wonderful quarterly essay mm. as well. Mm. I think you know that yeah. he is very much a pragmatist and um, he's he's serious about keeping the job. Do we cast against him, though, the government's intransigence on climate change? I mean, can we say at the end of 2020 when the world is moving, when American voters have, have made a decisive decision, it's a pretty big margin, actually, that, that Biden ends up winning by 7 million votes thereabouts, a pretty a pretty emphatic win. Um, and, you know, the Johnson administration, uh, we've discussed before, but on climate is, is you know, dramatically moving. There's, there's a There's a... There's a kind of a mood around the world to, for progress here, and Australia is basically making itself into a you know an international ne'er do well on this question. So, I don't know if I can say about Scott Morrison in light of that that he's been the most effective leader. He's leading the country in the wrong direction in that regard. I think what is really interesting about Scott Morrison, and I guess it sort of plays to his his strengths as a political leader, is that he is very focused on the short term, and he's very tactically good. 
uh, broadly speaking, with the exception of the fires. Um, and he is very much focused on winning the next election and is very deft at positioning himself and his government to um, maximise, uh, I guess, the space he sort of has for himself. But on the questions of, I guess, like long-term uh, policy change, well, even when it comes to dealing with the pandemic in terms of its Im- impacts on the economy, uh, you know, one of the criticisms that the, the Prime Minister has faced is that his government hasn't really um, declared what its reform colours are. It's not really clear what Australia is supposed to look like in 2030 and, and how our economy is sort of supposed to change. So much of what the government has been interested in doing is kind of restoring or, or going um, back. And I, and that basically when we, we sort of assess what is a good leader or who is a good leader, you know, are we talking about managing this immediate crisis? I think he gets a lot of points for that. Um, but if we're talking about long-term strategic leadership, then no, I think the arguments you've made are pretty pretty clear that that this is definitely not his strength. But I guess you know, given we're assessing him against other short-term leaders who are largely managing short-term problems, like yeah, yeah, we've kind of been reminded. I mean, I think the point about his pragmatism is really important. But we've also been reminded in this pandemic that in Australia, the centre held. All yeah. those years, the centre yeah. held. Yeah. So there was one nation, but one nation doesn't compete seriously for government. It can affect things through its its preferences and all the rest of it. But compared to the kinds of impulses that were unleashed around issues like, immig- on, you know, mm. like immigration mm-hmm. in Europe, in 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 the United States, well, the, the UK, the, the UK with Brexit, yeah. uh, Trumpism, of course, the, the centre held in Australia, and and you know, I, I think that that point has really come out very strongly, as it did in New Zealand, I think as it broadly did in Canada, which Mm. has clearly had, um, although a difficult pandemic, nowhere near um, what we've seen in the United States. And I I think that that's been enacted in all sorts of ways this year. So are we, so what are we deciding then? I mean, is that a, is that a case for, um, for Scott Morrison's overall general stewardship of the nation? I don't know. I mean, I guess, I guess the thing we haven't really discussed is sorry to, to, to open this conversation up again, is that whilst, you know, we've sort of seen him be really effective on, um, you know, managing this this short-term crisis, like the government has uh, sort of a doubled, tripled, quadrupled down on its inability and its refusal to engage with questions of scrutiny, qu- questions of accountability, um, and, and to a disturbing degree. Well, that does come up in our next category, which is right. most risible explanation for a well. government or political failure. <laughs> Right, okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's certainly there is better in the works. <laughs> but uh, you, you make a good yeah. point. So so just just to tie this one up, I mean, we, we've got in front of us um, Anastasia Palaszczuk, Daniel Andrews, Mark McGowan, Gladys Berejiklian. I mean, all of those state premiers have done well. I think the standout, uh, the standout case there is, is Andrews. Um, because he did, as you said, Maria, he did. He took tough, unpopular policy and then stood up and explained it every day. Now, you know, some people will say he obfuscated like politicians do, but certainly no worse than any other politicians going around at the moment. And I think there was a, it was anti-populism as I've described it before. And in the end, extraordinarily effective, uh, you know, notwithstanding that it comes from a stuff up to begin with. So I think to me, the, the choice is really between Andrews and Morrison on this, um, because I think Morrison, pandemically speaking, if that's a word, and uh, you know we're in the academy, I think, I think we can make be. words up. Yeah. Um, 
That's, that's actually the only thing we do all day. What do you say? Just make words, words up. What am, what am I yeah. bid for, uh, yeah. for for this? Uh, let's make a decision here because we're, we're getting pretty uh, – we've got a couple to get through. I'm going to say Morrison. Okay. And the reason I'm going to say Morrison is whilst I think that – Andrew's performance at a, you know, as a professional politician and communicator particularly was extraordinary and, and, and yeah, holding the line and what's been achieved in Victoria is extraordinary. You know, in the end, he is a member of a government that's been there for 20 years. And if there are flaws in the public health system, he's got to carry some of the can for that. Um, yeah. you know, they've been there except for three years since 1999. Morrison's um, gone pretty well not carrying the can for the flaws in the aged care system in true. the very same state. But, uh, yeah. yes, look, I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to, with that, to with yeah. that writer, I'm going to I'm going to say Morrison as well, which yeah. basically makes your vote academic on this. I'm actually quite happy with that. But can I just say that I'd like to award Mark McGowan the best kebab based comment? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. All the year. Yeah. and also uh, extra yeah. and a, a special judges mentioned for elevating the mullet into the central exactly. political exactly. conversation. That's okay, right. so that brings us to most risible explanation for a government and political failure. The candidates or the, uh, the the categories, the nominees, I should say, are Robo Debt, uh, which of course is a terrible debacle. Angus Taylor for his uh, his creativity in blaming the Sydney City Council for travel bills that it didn't have, and and for a few other things. John Barillaro's uh, Clayton's resignation from the uh, ministry in um, uh, in which he was hoping to sort of sit on the crossbench with his nationals colleagues, but still have the white cars in the ministries over koalas too. Yeah, yeah over koalas. Right, yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. right. <laughs> did he did he try to quit and join federal politics this year as well? well was that this year? Yeah, yeah, precisely. Yeah, he was he was a he was a sort of a starter non-starter for Eden Monero uh, oh, for the right. switch there, along with Andrew that's Constance, right. two members of Barry Jekyllians, uh, and both of them hold the seats, the state seats that are contained within. He was federal. very rude on the phone, wasn't he? Yes. He was very uh, oh, they were rude to each other. It was mm. uh, it was it was as good as the, uh, the the famous phone call between was it Peacock, uh, Peacock? Oh, Peacock yeah. and yeah. Kenneth, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which was picked up by a ham radio <laughs> enthusiast, and which we can't. Days. Quote on this program. No, no but it was, can't quit the other one either. It's fair to say that, it's fair to say that they were reasonably frank in their assessment yeah, of John Howard yeah. um, at the time. Yeah. Uh, okay, so what do we think? Um, oh, what about aged care? Uh, well, do I have that there? I, I actually, um, yes, I do actually have uh, Michael McCormack during the bushfire crisis for branding conservationist as woke inner city lunatics. Uh, of course, the other one that I've got on here is uh, I don't hold a hose mate as a as a Hawaii explainer. That was that was yes. that was pretty good. Um, yeah. There's Dan Tian's attack on 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 the Victorian Premier that we were just talking about when oh, he yes. almost on the same day yeah. he said that he misspoke after you know yeah. unloading a heap of invective on on uh, on Daniel Andrews. Colbeck, of course, the aged care minister, for not even knowing how many people were infected or yeah. or, or what the death toll was in the in the um, in the aged care homes. See, so yes, there's a fair what bit. About, there's about a the long time, list here. What about the time that um, Brendan Murphy, the chief health officer, shook hands um, on TV before he was supposed to, of course, not be shaking hands anymore? Yeah. Or um, the time when Scott Morrison was asked about the fact that women in Yass have to drive an hour in labour. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're, to, they're upgrading to the hospital. road. Yeah, and his response was that they should be happy because they're upgrading the Barton Highway. <laughs> And, um, I want to. I want to go with that one. I think that one was <laughs> so absurd. Right? Yeah. That's it. Yeah. You know? 
That was that was a shock. Yeah, don't worry, yeah. we've got a better road, so you yeah. can uh, you can you know when you're in one of the laybys, it'll be so right, much exactly. better doing a roadside. Your contractions might only be. I think it's that's a really good choice for a winner because given that we you know awarded him a positive one a moment ago, yeah, that's right. it really does need to be leavened by reminders of that kind. Doesn't indeed, it? Yeah. indeed. Yeah. Now we move road. to a particular favourite of yours, Frank. <laughs> Uh, which you've called the Barnaby Joyce Award for Conspicuous Canberra Bubble Behaviour. And you've just nominated the joint winners here. And I, I don't, we're not going to go into great detail here for reasons that might be obvious, but the joint winners are Alan Tudge and Christian Porter. I mean, these gentlemen speak for themselves, I guess. There's a, there's a whole Four Corners special on it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, perhaps we could present the award at next year's um, ball, you know. Oh. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Late in the evening. Um, <laughs> no. Let's move quickly on to the, the next one. Let's move quickly on to the next one, right? And now this is the – and we actually thought of this a few days ago and and suddenly it's been a bit more poignant, I suppose. The John le Carre Award for Creepy Deep, Deep State Behaviour. Now, unfortunately, as we record this, only today we've learned that the great John le Carre – the world's best espionage novelist, um, has died. So that is um, the extent to which people have gone to to stop this category going ahead. No, that's not true. Um, but the, you, can never, you can never say with the deep state. I mean, that's the whole point. So, so um, the, the, uh, the nominees are Christian Porter. P we know as Porter, as he's occasionally known, uh, for um, Bernard Caleri and Witness K and Christian Porter for Witness J. <laughs> so he's nominated twice uh, in this. Um, I'd like would to you add- like to speak to this, Frank? Um, Obviously yes. with a one of those things that changes your voice so no one knows who you oh, are. Oh, that's right. That kind of thing. <laughs> well, I mean, it's obviously got to be Christian Porter, doesn't it? Uh, I can never get the Does letter. he win it for Witness K or Witness J? It's a very alphabetical yeah, sort of approach he has to, to... I'm pretty biased. I'm so outraged by the Caleri so uh, so business that uh, I'd, 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 I'd vote for that one. Yeah, I so, so yeah, am I. Yeah. Now, well, this moves us on to uh, Woman Man of the Year International. Now, the nominees I have are Joe Biden... Jacinda Ardern, and then I've got this third one that I've written in in, in pencil here because it's a little bit controversial in the sense it's not an individual, but I just think it needs to be recognised somewhere. I'm calling it medical science. I mean, when you think about it, the extraordinary story really of this year on above everything else is the mm-hmm. identification of vaccines so quickly um, and indeed all the other uh, you know knowledge that has been gained in a very quick time and shared over this uh, over this pandemic. So um it's hard to argue against that. It is hard to argue against that, I think. Especially um, when you sort of just think about And we've given Jacinda Ardern leader of the year anyway. Yeah. And some people might argue perhaps unkindly that 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 uh, Joe Biden uh you know was really just not Donald Trump. I mean that was his strongest feature. And and to, also, you know, let's think back to when Obama was given the um Nobel Peace Prize, you know, upon basically upon winning the presidency. The election, you know, yeah. It was too soon, right? So yeah. let's say it's too soon for Biden. He hasn't actually done anything yet. Yeah. I think I'd say about Biden, I think he, he did prove um, 
a formidable professional politician over the course of, which he is, as we know, he over did. the course of this year. There was no template for running a presidential election in those circumstances. That's true. And he also was a beacon for civility in a, in a yeah. very coarse and vituperative age. Yeah, absolutely. And he had a, a, a lot of um, different kinds of pressures to negotiate to, yeah. know, given the, the, the sheer levels of turbulence yeah. in the political system. Well, we can go with Biden if, if, yeah. if you want. No, 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 no. I think, I think well, no, the medical science one is a great idea. Now, the Women Man of the Year, National, that has Dan Andrews in it. We've discussed him a bit. It has Tsai Ing-wen from Taiwan, and it has, at my initiative uh, just uh, recently, Bernard Caleri. And I just think I, I'm 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 going for Bernard. Frankly, I mean, this is a bloke sure. who has acted in in, in the national, national interest, interest. Yeah. and I think the government's pursuit of him in this uh, with through secret trials and or behind closed doors trials and so forth is is an outrage. Um, so that's where my vote goes. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're Canberra people. We're That's in the right. bubble. We're Let's the give bubble. it to one of our own. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so that closes yeah. out our awards except for one last one. I realise we've been going for a long time, so I'll do this very quickly. So on a positive note for 2020, for all of its terrible news and loss, it might turn out to be a year, a decade too late, but the year when climate change finally penetrated the defences of conservatism. We'll see about that because I think it's um, – I think it's uh, early days, but there does feel to be a shift that's going on now and you can see it even in the Morrison government. Whether I don't think he's going to get Craig Kelly across the line, uh, Scott Morrison, but uh, um, it's pretty obvious, I think, where things are going. And that brings us to a last category, best podcast, best executive producer of a podcast. And there's only one nominee. There's only one nominee. And it's Martin Pierce. Now, I know we're going to have a spirited debate about this. But Martin has been the backbone of Democracy Sausage, which could explain why it's not so pleasant to chew, uh, for the last 18 months or so. He's even presented uh, the, the, the podcast a few times when I haven't been around. But alas, he's off to a job outside of ANU. And I think we're really going to miss him. Oh, we are going to miss are, him. We are. I mean, yes. I object to giving this award because it'll just encourage him. It will but, encourage him. Um, but we will miss him. Yes, because he's just been such a, um, you know, like a, an enthusiastic, creative, positive force behind the scenes in this podcast all the time. I, I know I talk to him a lot through the week in terms of who we're going to have on and, and, uh, we've, we've, we've had a lot of fun doing it. We've had people from all over the world, particularly with a great interest in, in Brexit, which, uh, uh both of us took a, a keen interest in. Uh, and um, I know that at a personal, on a personal note, I'm going to very much miss having uh, Martin Pierce there. So um, he's just sitting in the same room at the moment. He's being blushing. Quiet here. He's, he's blushing. blushing yeah. Yeah. It's uh, true. It's I true. Just, the podcast uh, wouldn't happen. I want to very strongly anything. acknowledge uh, Martin's great contribution to this podcast uh, and the work that he's done right across the university, which um, will be a, a loss to ANU. So to Martin. Thanks to Martin, Martin indeed. Martin. Thank you, Martin. Yeah, thank, thank you, Martin. Martin. Thank you. I'm sorry I didn't win Biggest Deal. Of <laughs> <laughs> well, we debated there, it, but we thought there, it was in poor taste. There is a sealed section of this podcast uh, in which you might win Biggest Deal of the Year. but uh, I'm opening it now. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's the most tyrannical podcast <laughs> yeah, producer. Yeah. That's right. Finally, we get the director's cut of the democracy side. Yeah. <laughs> See, the other thing behind that my logic here was that I figured we've gone over length and Martin, you know, does the editing of this. He's hardly going to cut the end off now, is no, he? I mean, you know. 
This is the time where we get to say what we really think. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Now, look, I, I, finally, let me just say this, Maria uh, and Frank. Um, this is the last Democracy Sausage podcast for the year. It's been a, it's been an amazing year, as we've discussed so many times. So thanks, both of you, for you know everything you've done on the podcast this year. It's been really terrific. I know lots of people have you know had lots of positive things to say about your contributions. So uh, you know, for me, thanks so much for for all of that, and we'll look forward to. 2021, when everyone thinks magically it's somehow going to be a whole lot Could better, be better. And I guess, <laughs> I guess at least until it gets here, we got to got to run with well, it. Like, yeah. It could, could get better. You never know. I'd like to I thank everyone who who listens to this this podcast. It's um, yeah, it's it's gratifying to um to know that that you're you're so engaged with the podcast and um. <clears throat> And here to enjoy the journey with us. Yeah. So thank you very much and, you know. And who knows, it could be an election year next year. We we started in an election year only about 18, 19 months ago uh, during the the 2019 election, you know, in the campaign there. And uh, we could find ourselves around, well, sort of, you know, the the third quarter, fourth quarter of 2021 having an election again. And uh, I guess the story of that is that Scott Morrison – if he's doing that, it's probably because the economy is in better shape than many people thought it was going to be in, and that's certainly the evidence at the moment. Anyway, we could babble on like, or at least I could babble on like this for a long time, but thanks, Frank, for, for being well, thank here thank you, again. Mark. It's been an uh, absolute pleasure to be on here, and thank you to Maria too and to Martin. Indeed. It's been wonderful. Indeed. Bye for now. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.